0: So for those of you who know the progression of the meta practice, you recognize that after doing the, the neutral person yesterday, you're heading towards working with the difficult person. So maybe that's why we have partial attendance here. <laughs> um, so I w- would like to guide you into that and actually do most of my talking at the front end of this so you'll have time to actually do the, do the practice for the remainder period of time. And I want to highlight a couple different things to you. Um, one has to do with uh, picking the difficult person, picking the difficult person, which is totally up to you. But there are uh, some wisdom pieces there in terms of who you're going to pick. Because you're going to be with them for a fair amount of time. So a first thing to do is to assess what your heart-mind is like right now. So right now, how steady, grounded, and stable do you feel? So, I won't ask you for a bar graph or anything, but it's like, how do you, how do you feel? Are you pretty uh, equanimous right now, or are you dealing with a lot of hindrances, or maybe you're somewhere in the middle? Because it makes a difference in terms of how you would proceed now with the practice. Because if you're working with a difficult person, you want to pick somebody who is within your current range right meaning someone where you could can hold mindfulness where you can you know keep some centeredness where you won't be for instance instantly flooded by lots of difficulty so that would not be a person for you to pick you know often uh will give these instructions uh, as part of working with the difficult person. And then at the end of the practice, uh, in, in the call for questions, somebody will invariably raise their hand and say, "I tried to give it for Hitler and it didn't work. <laughs> and I'm always like, did you, did you hear what we, did you hear what we said? We said, don't like uh, don't pick the most difficult uh, person." necessarily right so you want to pick somebody who is within your current range where when you you do a body check when you think about offering the meta uh, the system uh, when you ping that willingness and um, and stability of mind the system goes yeah I could try that I could work with that right if you if the first thought is No way, no, absolutely no way, or you're flooded. That is not the person. So you want to pick somebody who's within your range. A second point is you want to um, build up some momentum for working with the difficult person by starting not with the difficult person in this sitting, but spending a little bit of time Working with a a person or persons where it's easy and organic to offer metta. So this would be working with a benefactor or working um, with yourself, for instance. Working with a a dear friend or an easy family member. So you want to start with somebody easy. And that's to help settle the mind down in the intention of offering Metta and get a little bit of momentum, right? Because if you think about um, working with a difficult person, you know, it can feel a bit like an uphill climb, right? It can be challenging. So if you think about working with an easy person as, uh, you know, you're on the meta mountain and it's going well and woo, you're picking up steam, right? So maybe when you hit that neutral person at the bottom, you still got momentum going when you start working with uh, the person that's more challenging so you understand the principle of that so you get some mo- momentum going by working where it's easy which is the general rule with meta. you work where it's easy until you're uh, prepared and have the resources to work where it's harder the whole practice is structured in that kind of way so uh, a third thing is in doing meta practice, we're not actually trying to have some instant experience of catharsis or uh, forgiveness or you know some big blooming opening of a major meta state or anything. That's putting too much of a burden on the practice. Instead what we're doing is by reciting the phrases of metta in connection with a particular being, whether that's a being that we uh, have an image of or a felt sense of or a memory of, we're actually working with the mind's wholesome intention. We're planting the seeds of wholesome intention. And a state may open up or it may not. And that's really not the test of whether the practice is good, whether a state opens up or not. There may be body resonance with it, there may not be. There may be a sense of seclusion with it and happiness and joy with it, there may not be. It's still good practice if you can recite the phrases with an appreciation of their intention. And just keep chugging along with that. It's all good practice. So uh, these other things like states opening up or forgiveness arising in the mind or concentration experiences or, uh, you know, complete reframing of your experience with somebody else. If these things happen, what a lovely bonus. Right? Bonus. (laughs) But that's, that's, not, uh, that's not the measure of whether the practice is good or the practice is working. So the fourth point, and then we can actually start, is with anybody you, uh, you work with in metapractice, in metapractice just like in the other practices we teach you here, there is the possibility that you will have hindrances arise in the mind. Right? This is just something that can happen with any one of these practices. So you could be offering, for instance, metta even to somebody who is your easy person, and then suddenly, I don't know, have jealousy arise in the mind, or you know, have have uh, fear arise in the mind, or worry, or sloth and torpor, or restlessness can happen at any time in any practice so the rule in uh, uh in meta practice is if you have a hindrance arising and it's just kind of you know buzzing around out there somewhere uh you know it intermittently comes in but it's not like really strong or really uh repeatedly competitive for your attention meaning you can still Keep going with the metaphrases and the connection with the being. If you can still keep going, the rule in meta practices, you would just ignore the hindrances. You know, let it, let them be there. If, however, you have a situation where the hindrances come in, and they're you know so strong or so powerful, they become the main show. In other words, they've uh, made your uh, your meta enterprise uh, uh, difficult, very difficult to impossible. Then the wise practice piece there is to actually set the meta practice aside for a while, and go back to your vipassana practice. Go back to vipassana practice with the recognition that you've got a hindrance going on, or maybe a hindrance storm going on, and work with that using your vipassana tools. Right. Recognizing it, acknowledging what the the hindrance is that's there and, and working with that state directly. So one of the, the reasons that that's the practice rule is to do any kind of cultivation, to do bhavana, metta-bhavana, there needs to be mindfulness. This is the foundation for... For all of these practices, there needs to be mindfulness there. So if a hindrance is strong enough to, uh, you know, kind of take over for a while or to strongly compete for a while, your first task is going to be to practice in a way that restores mindfulness. Right? That gets that back. And that means dealing with the hindrance in some sort of way. And, um, you know, one way sometimes you can can regroup Is just to leave the person that you're working with there and go back to somebody that is easier right go back to your easy person Uh, sometimes you need to work directly with the hindrance so is that clear enough what I said so I just try to give you the bare bones of it so you got got some tools in mind all right so what I'm going to do then is to, to guide you in so what I would, I would first ask is that you find your body. That's always a good strategy. So finding the body. Let yourself uh, briefly reflect on the beauty, and the value, and the power of this particular quality of mind, of metta. And what it feels like when it's present in our minds. and in our relationships, and in our communities, and how it makes so much possible, how it opens so much potentiality, internally and externally. Because this is the unifying force of love of goodwill. This is the antidote to ill will. Is that which creates a sense of inner safety, inner sanctuary. A mind that can transform. That can support itself. That can offer safety to others and sanctuary. That can bring communities and groups together. now, with an appreciation of the value of that quality, let yourself consider the value of having a mind that is not driven or forced into ill will or resentment. That has the power to hold its seat in goodwill and in metta. Regardless of the being with whom one is encountering or connecting. Imagine developing the mind to the point where This is more and more often the state. So with that in mind, do a check-in for yourself about who, if anyone, you would like to pick as your difficult person. Check in with your body and your mind, somebody that's within range. And now that you have a person, or you've decided, "Mm, not this afternoon. Pick out a being for whom it's relatively easy to offer metta. Some being to whom your mind has uh, either willingness or at least little objection. could be your kitty. Yourself a friend. And begin to offer them the phrases of goodwill. We'll work for this in this way for about 10 minutes on on your own And now, uh, if you're ready, letting go of that being with a blessing. Allow yourself to bring forward uh, the being that you've picked to be your stand-in for difficult people. This uh, personification of this category. See if you can incline the mind towards a recognition about why it might be good to be able to hold this intention of goodwill towards this one too. doesn't mean approval or collapse of discernment or doesn't even necessarily mean you'll have any kind of contact or relationship with them. Rather this is a cultivation of your own capacity to hold this intention in a place where it's challenging. So this is developmental for you. This is about you letting go of suffering. So it can be useful sometimes to start by reflecting in this kind of way. Just as I wish to be happy, so do all beings wish to be happy. And as I wish to be safe, so do all beings wish to be safe. As I wish to be well, so do all beings wish to be well. As I wish to live with ease, so do all beings wish to live with ease. And then finding some way to connect with this difficult being. You can begin the process of directing the phrases of goodwill, the intention of goodwill towards them. May you too be happy. May you too be safe from inner and outer harm and danger. <clears throat> May you two be well as possible. May you too live with ease of well-being. And just continue on with this on your own. couple more minutes. And so we would close this out with you returning to an easy person. So you may be ready to do that now. Or do it soon-ish. We've got about another five minutes. (laughs) Bye. <laughs> Now letting yourself find the, the ground. Find your ground. Find your, your body, your earth element. Giving your weight to the earth. Earth on earth. yourself recognize the wholesomeness of this cultivation and its power, realer, to be realized. This is the door to your freedom, to liberate you from enmeshment, that which has caused suffering. May the merit of this practice be a cause and condition for our own awakening and that of all beings without exception. So um, I think I'll uh, offer an opportunity for questions, but uh, I know a lot of people probably uh, are ready to leave or would prefer to leave. Uh, so if you're ready uh, ready to go and do your walking or go about your yogi business, please, uh, this would be a time to make your way. So this obviously is a, a challenging practice. sometimes more than others and sometimes some beings a lot more than others. And you know, so it's really important to approach it with wisdom, wisdom in the mind and Does anybody have any particular questions about this practice? Yeah. <laughs> the uh, the question was about practicing with a person who has passed away and uh, some teachers advising against that. So some of the commentaries uh, that uh, describe this practice say that it's better not to pick somebody who's passed away if you're practicing for concentration. If you're practicing for concentration. One of the challenges in practicing with somebody who's passed away, of course, is there is no current image of them, right? (laughs) I mean, there might be a memory or or something or some felt sense of them, but however they were, uh, when they became the difficult person, they're not actually in that form anymore except internally. But having said that, you know, my feeling is, you know, a lot of times the difficult person... Could, could very well be somebody who has uh, passed away, and it's our memory uh, of them uh, that keeps them alive. And so, in that kind of sense, uh, working with the, the memory of a particular difficult person, if our um, emotional and intentional response to even a thought of that person is, you know, uh, agitation, ill will. Uh, fear, anxiety, um, all the rest of that could be skillful because, as I was saying earlier, this is really about us. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now if you're doing metta for concentration, like you're doing it intensively for the sake of concentration, because you can actually uh, enter jhana doing metta practice if you do it in certain kinds of ways, one of the, the basic principles of jhana jhana kind of practice is you don't change things up very much, you just like keep the phrases the same, you know, you're, you're, you, you're not switching people around arbitrarily uh, or anything. There's a sequence, a very definite sequence and guidance about how to pick people, when to add new categories of people, You know how to keep your phrases steady and all the rest of that. But that that's kind of a, a particular way of practicing metta. Yes? Do you have advice about how to... Right, so that was about um, helping to intensify. Was the word that was used uh, the practice um, by morphing the phrases or using the phrases? Yes, you can pick out particular phrases that you know carry the meta intention, but might be more pertinent to that particular person or relationship to it, to your relationship to them. Maybe to make the heart a little bit easier. So you know there's a lot lot of potential tricks of the trade. And working especially like with a difficult person. Like you may find that you just have like such a complete moral objection to them or something. That in order to even be willing or ready to to entertain the possibility of doing doing it. You might want to reflect on. Uh, something that you know about them that you can find okay enough. Like, you know, maybe they're very difficult and destructive in certain kinds of ways, but in this one way, you can appreciate that they're at least neutral and uh, recognize that quality uh, in them as you craft a phrase that supports you in being with them. So this is, you know, a lot of this is about learning to work with your mind. Yeah, yeah. For noble truths, is there a, a similar schema? Exactly psychoanalyzing but coming to understand why they affect us as Yeah. Yeah, working with uh, a particular difficult person to to create willingness and ability to offer them metta. Sometimes that kind of reflection like, you know, Why are they the way that they are? Maybe you do know something about their personal narrative. Uh, Like maybe you knew, you know, something about their childhood or the life they had growing up, or their, you know, position in society, or uh, you know that, you know, okay, their mother was, their parents were like this to them, and no, you know, this is what they, you know, what I mean, this kind of reasoning. This is what they learned, so this is how they are, and. know it's a limitation or yes this person has a horrible horrible temper and I can see you know they've alienated everybody in in their life and now they're alone right you know these kinds of reflections can be ways to prime the pump um, to make the mind a little more willing you know the Dalai Lama sometimes says well you know um, um if if they weren't suffering in some kind of way they wouldn't be you know the way act the way they do right so pointing to the fact that there's there's delusion there and a lot of unskillfulness and understanding that you know that unskillfulness in their action not only to us but in in other ways in which they act that's really bad karma right so that like an uneducated and undeveloped mind is planting a lot of a lot of uh, seeds of future arisings for themselves. So the Dalai Lama says, Well, you know, it's coming out of suffering. Yes, it's making others suffer and it's coming out of suffering. The the kindness seems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So compassion sometimes it kind of morphs into compassion or you find the phrases are taking a, a karuna bent to them or at least the felt sense. Or sometimes you could set metta aside and do compassion. So the thing about the four Brahma Vihara practices is taken as a, as a suite, taken as four Attitudes to be cultivated in the mind. That covers every human situation, right? <laughs> and your your potential relationship to any human being. You know, metta, compassion, mudita, equanimity. You know, equanimity is there. Well, you know, they are the way they are. You know, you get, get into the, you know, 12-step, perspectives on changing what you can change, and uh, you know the wisdom to know the difference. (laughs) But you know, this is really um, a deceptively simple and powerful practice. Because you're you're training the mind to be able to hold a certain frame and relationship to self and others that's wholesome and steady and onward leading and it makes you much less vulnerable to being set off, triggered, turned into a state of suffering and unskillfulness by how other people are, right? You've got your own rudder, right? You're not the victim in that sense of other people's behavior. Because even when it's unskillful, your mind can make something useful out of it. So, you know, this is empowerment. Yeah. mm mm-hmm. Yeah, images that come up in the mind about phrases that are about safety and things and then images that might uh, illustrate lack of safety. So, um, metta is understood to be a purification practice. Meaning that it can uh, arouse or display uh, qualities that are at variance with metta and sometimes even their opposites, which fear is. Right, fear is the fear is the the one of the opposites of meta. So it it's not an uncommon thing. So I wouldn't so much worry about that. I would I would the the practice question would be. Does that particular image then throw you into a hindrance, like into the hindrance of fear, or worry, and if so, is it strong enough? that it would be indicated to put the practice aside for a while and work directly with the hindrance. And there might be something uh, there, if this is like a repeated pattern with this particular phrase, to, to look at doing some changing or morphing of the phrase uh, to something that doesn't, you know, carry that with it. So this is all, you know, part of the art of practice, huh? As part of the the beautiful depth of the Dharma. And learning how to work directly with your own heart and mind. Yeah, last call. Fair warning. Uh, would you choose? Would I choose? And not yeah. Well, this is uh, when do you stay steady with the selected phrases, and when do you kind of like get into free form? Either either way is can be useful at different times. The constancy of the phrases, if you look at it, you know, using the same ones uh, most of the time or pretty much all of the time, has the advantage in that it helps that to sink into the mind more deeply. So if you look at part of what you're doing here is establishing neural pathways, then you can see that there are certain benefits of repetition of things. Right? Repetition of things to support the the wiring up of this pathway to meta as an attitude of mind and also as a state. The value of, you know, creative improvisation is that sometimes it can bring some interest and some, some particular aliveness to it. Or it can fi- provide uh, creative ways around some internal obstacles that might arise on the cushion when you're working with particular people or particular situations. So to just take an example of that, you know, one of the classic phrases is, is you know, may you be healthy. Well, you know, if you have have somebody who you know has, you know, is got lots and lots of health problems and they're not going to get any better, you know, your mind could just have like a common sense objection to that. Well, what do you mean may you be healthy? You know, it's like, you know, you're in a wheelchair and you, I don't know, have some condition and you're probably going to pass away in, you know, three months. I mean, it just doesn't seem like it fits and that kind of, Circumstance, the phrase might be more like um, may you be as well as possible or may you have the help and support that you need. Right? It recognizes the, the circumstances of the being. Okay, well good on you all for taking your evolution into your own hands. So...